0: 426, right. okay, good, very good, thank you. So we're talking about the fact that the Pizarian had finished yesterday by making an argument that the other religions also seem to agree with a lot of what Judaism espouses, right? So what's actually wrong with what the other religions have brought to the table? So the rabbi said, I would have compared these other religions to people who accept only the general principles of the Torah commandments, but not the details. Were it not for the fact that their actions Contradict their doctrine. In other words, you're right. What they propose or what they kind of purport to believe in is actually something which yeah seems like there are people who they accept the general principles of the Torah, but they don't accept the details. Okay, maybe not so great, but not not often. But the thing is, when you look at what they actually carry out in practice, it's very, very different. Their reverence of the place of prophecy isn't word alone. They instead converge on whatever places they happen to be living which were previously places of idolatry and where no divine manifestation was ever witnessed. They have retained the same religious practices as the idolatrous ones before them, as well as their sacrificial days and holy days. They have changed only the idolatrous images in these places. They smashed the idols, but they did not smash the religion. I would almost like to say that the reason God states in the verse, you shall worship their other gods of wood and stone, and then repeats the same verse later on is to allude to these people, those that glorify wood and those that glorify stone. Fascinating, right? What's the wood and the stone? The wood is the the cross, the Christian cross, and the and the stone is the the Muslim, the black stone in Mecca. So I don't know if you guys just saw that story about um, that Israeli, the Jewish reporter who who uh, surreptitiously slipped into Mecca, and uh, apparently it's not it's not acceptable for non-Muslims to be in Mecca. And there was this huge uproar about it. Um, I don't know. To me, it was it was an interesting, interesting perspective how the how most of the world seemed to be like, yeah, that's that's totally reasonable that no non-Muslim person could be allowed there. That's totally reasonable. That's not apartheid at all. No, no one would ever suggest that that's apartheid. Because of our long stay in these lands, we in our sinful ways have imitated them. It is true that their intentions are directed towards God. They are just like Abimelech's nation and the people of Ninveh. Even some of the philosophers acknowledge God, right? In in theory, in a hypothetical sense, many different religions have acknowledged the monotheistic vision of God, and even some philosophers acknowledge God. Each of the respective leaders of the two religions, Christianity and Islam, claimed that he had perceived the divine light in its designated habitat, namely the holy land, that from there he was taken to the heavens, and that from there he was commanded to rectify the peoples of the entire world. Their focal concentration was towards this land, but this did not last long as they switched their focus to the places where their masses dwell. In other words, it could be that initially they start off with the right mentality, right? It could be that that's the that that's their initial thoughts to do the right mentality. But then what happens is they then fall into a trap of actually, of actually, you know, recognizing that if they really want to be the religion of the masses and try to be something that's attractive to every Pure person on Earth. Well, then you can't just say it's very, very exclusive and is only in these very limited places. And therefore, they start spreading it and saying, "Yeah, you know what? You could actually experience divinity outside of Israel." And it becomes almost like that's not the main, the main focus anymore. Their leaders are analogous to a person who would like to direct a group of people to where the sun is. The problem is that they have poor eyesight, cannot see the sun, nor find its place. The person that takes them to either the North or South Pole during the season when it's completely dark at the pole. And tells them, the sun is here. Come, welcome it, and look upon it. But of course, they do not see it. I'm just surprised that they knew that this is completely dark at the poles during certain seasons. So I guess they knew already uh, 800 years ago in Spain. I'm a little surprised at that. On the other hand, Moshe blessed memory, the leader of the Jewish people, organized the masses around Mount Sinai so that they would be able to see the divine light that was present to each person according to his ability. He then called upon the 70 elders, and they also saw it. As it says, they saw the God of Israel. Later on, he gathered together another 70 elders, and the light of prophecy on the same par as Moshe's rested upon them. As it says, he emanated the spirit which was upon him and placed it upon the 70 elders. The elders communicated with each other what they had seen and heard. In this way, any malicious suggestions, suspicions about prophecy, suggesting that it was an individual's personal fabrication, were distanced from our people. Okay, so let's go back for a minute. The initial analogy that he gave is these individuals never saw God. They don't know what God looks like. They have no conception of what God is but they want to bring along a bunch of masses with them. So they say, come with us. We're going to show you God. Not only don't they recognize where God is, even if they were in the land of Israel, they go to places where it's not possible for God to manifest himself because it's all fraud, right? It's all just the shuckster. Huckster? Huckster. Then what happens is, though, the Jewish people are completely different, right? Because the Jewish people, what happens is Moshe calls everyone together to Harsinai. This is a place where God can manifest himself and has everyone witness is this special special moment right and as a very very clear deviance from what all other revelations have ever claimed to have seen it is implausible that these masses conspire to lie about prophecy this is especially so in light of the fact that there were whole communities whose level of prophecy was equivalent to elisha's as witnessed by their knowledge of the day that elio would be taken up to heaven as they said to elisha do you know that today god is taking your master from upon your head All these prophets were Moshe's testifiers and exhorters of his Torah. The Kuzari said, but people of other religions are closer to you than the philosophers, right? So it's true. You've established why there is distance, but ultimately they're still closer to you than other philosophers. The Rabbi said, agreed. There is a great distance between the religious person and the philosopher. The religious person seeks God for lofty purposes other than for the purpose of knowing God. The philosopher, however, seeks only to depict God accurately in the same way that he seeks to depict the earth accurately, by saying, for example, that the earth is also in the center of the great sphere and not only in the center of the zodiac sphere. And to depict accurately all other types of knowledge. He believes that there is no greater harm in a mistaken understanding of God than in the mistaken belief that the earth is flat. Okay. So it's true that the philosopher seeks to understand God, but the philosopher seeks to understand God because he wants to understand it in context of a view in which everything is understood by the philosopher so he wants to understand it in that context and therefore that's his only purpose his purpose in understanding the nature of god is not so that he can come to a greater level of recognition of god not so that he can come to serving god or trying to figure out what god's purpose in creating this world what god's purpose in creating me is but rather so that he can fit god into the context of knowing everything the whole benefit to him then is having an accurate knowledge of things so that he can resemble the active intellect and become one with it thus whether one is righteous or a heretic makes no difference to a philosopher one of the foundations of their belief is that god bestows neither good nor bad they also believe that the universe has always existed and that there was never a time when the universe was not existent and then came into being rather it has never changed and never will change if they call god the creator It is only in the figurative sense, not in the literal sense. When they use the terms creator and maker, they really mean that God is the cause and mover of the universe. The effect can never be separated from the cause, so that if the cause is in a state of potentiality, the effect is also potential. And if the cause is an actual state, the effect is also actual. God is considered an actual cause, an active cause, and so is his effect, as long as he remains its cause. I'll be honest with you, I asked Rabbi Dukhavni. To explain this point to me previously. He, he tried. it wasn't it wasn't successful, so i'm I'm not gonna be able to explain it myself because I was also trying to figure out. remember when we started the Khazari, he really addressed this idea that they can believe in a God and that God is the cause of everything. but yet at the same time he didn't create the universe. the universe existed independent of him, so to speak. so I, I don't really understand how that's possible, but i I, I can't explain this. I don't understand myself. Um, okay, tomorrow night we will continue at the bottom of page four thirty one. At number four in this continuing this conversation. Okay, take care, guys. Be well. Good night.